Well, let me say that uh, my father was a bombardier uh, and a navigator in World War II, dropped many bombs over Italy. My um, grandfather was uh, in World War I and was in the final battle in France, and my great-grandfather was in the Civil War. So our family has a long history of people that have served, and out of our family, from the Piedmont family to anyone, and everyone that has or is serving, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of ensuring that we experience the greatest culture on the face of the earth. I tell you, if you have not had the opportunity to leave this world and go to other parts of it, you ought to for a variety of reasons. One, you realize that we and what we have is not what is norm. It is unusual. Um, Secondly, you, under, you understand from a spiritual perspective that God is not an American thing. He's a world thing, and he really doesn't need us. But you also just uh, ex- uh, understand how special we have what we have, and a lot of it is attributed to those who have gone before us as well as those who are today that fight for our freedom, and so we say thank you to you. Yes. Thank you to you. Uh, also, one other thing, and go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. While you're doing that, you know, as I said last week, we launched... Our own little uh, exciting opportunity this Christmas to give some children in this world probably the only Christmas present they will receive. There's a little bag out front with a, a little card, step-by-step instructions, as well as a little poster you can put up your work uh, to do and, and get everybody involved. This is ours from our family. It has a number of things. They have a deflated soccer ball. This is on the list, a hairbrush, some notebooks so they can go to school, little thing, Skittles, toothbrush, toothpaste to get out of what the Skittles put in. But we got all this kind of stuff. Plus in there is a note and picture from our family as well as the little form fill out with our name and our email address because we're going to live stream giving some of these out. I was told this week they're going to have a small event where they'll give some amount and then we're going to deliver them to homes uh, of, of children between. And this can be children between the ages of uh, 6 to 10 from what I understand. And so out there you can grab yours today. Let me tell you, this didn't cost a lot. really didn't cost a lot. You can get... You know, seven people in your office, in your dorm, in your neighborhood to get five bucks and you've got it. And make sure we get your information because we want you to see uh, your gift being delivered. But this is something that is, that is just so awesome. Uh, this will be, if we don't do this, some of these children will never, ever, uh, they won't get a Christmas present this year. This will be the only one they get. So I want us to become a lot of hope in, in people's eyes. So please, if you haven't already, grab your pack. There's three different locations. You don't have to worry about when our church is open. You do it here. I think One South Banks, Mahal, Orthodontics, uh, various places you can uh, uh, deliver these to and get them to, and we will make sure and get them there. So we are in a series. We started last week. We're going to do it this week and next week. It's a little short series where we're talking about meaningful relationships, and, and the stuff we're talking about can apply in all kinds of relationships in life. Now, we're kind of homing it in on those more intimate relationships of someone you're dating or uh, someone you're engaged to or if you're married, and this is stuff that is so powerful, whether you've been married for one month or, or for 40 years, it's just great relational stuff to help you uh, develop meaningful relationships. And I, I say it's a lot of times it's the things that happy couples have discovered. This is the why they are a happy couple. Again, this can go in all different kind of places. So if you're single and you're not dating someone, this can weave itself into other relationships in your life. Uh, but, but, but even in that, listen to what we're talking about, because I tell you, I tell you, that if you grab this stuff and you remember it, uh, and you bring it into relationships, you just set that relationship up 
to be more healthy. And, and I tell you this, if you don't learn this, down the line when you are in a relationship, you are married, where you're going to discover this, the stuff we're telling you or the stuff I'm going to lay out to you, laid out last week, going to lay out this week, this is the kind of stuff that if you don't get later on down the line, you will pay a counselor hundreds of dollars to tell you the very same thing. So it's best to get it early. But again, it weaves itself. It can be applicable to any relationship in your life. We're just kind of homing it down to those more intimate uh, relationships. And last week we kind of talked about how what we've got to understand our role in the relationship is that, that more than anything else, a healthy relationship is, a, is when we have the attitude of it's a race to the back of the line. It's not a race to the front line to get what I want and my needs met first. It's a race to the back of the line. And we saw where the scripture told us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what he's saying is what a healthy relationship, well, what meaningful relationships are about, it's about a submission competition. And, and we kind of weaved ourselves through that. And, and I brought up something last week that I kind of want to revisit and dive into a little bit more. And that is this. When we enter into a relationship, particularly boyfriend, girlfriend, dating relationship, uh, uh, engagement, and certainly marriage. When we enter into these relationships, we bring with us our hopes, dreams, and desires. And these things seem positive, right? They seem encouraging. They're always forward-looking. They're very positive-oriented. And we look down and we say, this is my hopes and my dreams and my desires. And it's just such a positive feel. And to us, not only is that, they just make sense. We just assume everybody would respond and go, yeah, this is what it's about. And everyone would agree with us and, and embrace that because, after all, they just make sense to us. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a husband in the way that I'm thinking about how a husband should be? Or who wouldn't want to be a wife in the way that I'm thinking about a wife should be? Who wouldn't want to organize family and marriage around these principles? It just... It makes sense, everybody. You know, no one would disagree with this. Who wouldn't want to handle conflict the way that I'm thinking will handle conflict? Who wouldn't want to save money or spend money in the way that I think we should save money or spend money? Because it, it just seems logical. Who wouldn't want the number of kids and when to have them in the way that I'm thinking because it's just logical? Who wouldn't want to buy the kind of cars and keep on the the amount of time that I think is smart to think and, and, and what's good and what's pleasurable to keep the... You know, because it just makes sense. And we can go on and on and on with the list because we have all these things that are our hopes, dreams, and desires about how the relationship should be and what's your role, what's my role, and how things should be handled in the relationship. And we bring those and they're positive and they're forward-looking and it's something that we just expect everybody will gather around and go, yeah, yeah. We're excited about that. But as we move on into the relationship, something happens. And we don't notice it happens, but it happens. And that these hopes, dreams, and desires turn into expectations. And we take them and we give them to, maybe it's more accurate to say, we hang them around the neck of the person we're in a relationship with. Now they're not just hope, dreams, and desires. They're my expectations for the relationship. They're my expectations for what your role is in this relationship. And now all of a sudden when that takes place, and 99% of the time it will take place, all of a sudden the relationship becomes more transactional. It's about you getting what you and I getting that. We make sure we're both getting what we want out of this. And you got this last time, so I get to get this last time. You got to do that, so now I get to do this. And, 
and, and you know, it was about your family last time, and now it's, it needs to be about my family this time, and we just go back and forth, and it's all this kind of debt, debtor relationship, what you got, well, then I need to get, and it's all about this debt and debtor and transactional, and now all of a sudden, the relationship comes and centers around and navigates around negotiations, right? Whether you get what you get, what I get, what I get, and the last time you got this, and this time I get this, and all of a sudden it becomes all navigating around the relationship, so we're both getting what we want. And usually the person that gets what they want the most is not necessarily the person that is right, it's just the person that is a louder or more aggressive talker or just a better talker. When you hear someone say, you know, he always gets his way, or she always gets her way, Usually that just means that the other person was a louder or more aggressive talker. Or the other person was just a better talker. In fact, I remember one time Billy Graham talking about this. He's talking about sometimes when he has conflict with his wife. The person talking to him is like, do you and your wife ever fight? You're Billy Graham. He's like, oh, yeah, we fight. We fight. She said, well, who wins? Well, sometimes he said, sometimes my wife will look at me and go, I'm not going to fight you because I know you're wrong and I'm right, but you're a better talker than I am. A lot of times that happens. That whoever's the better talker tends to win more of the negotiations. But this relationship has become transactional. And the problem is that. Is that when somebody wins in the relationship, the relationship usually loses. When you win, y'all lose. When I win, we lose. But we do it anyway. We take our hopes, dreams, and desires, and somewhere along the way we don't even realize that we did it, but we change them into expectations, and we bring them into the expectations. We simply can't help ourselves. That's what we do. And whether it's from how to raise kids to how I want to be respected, it is these intangible, intangible things that we bring, and we hand them to that person and say, here you go. Live up to it. And then what do we do when they don't? What do we do when that other person is not living up to these hopes, dreams, and desires that are now expectations? Well, there's a few options that we have. We can just ignore it. I tell you, this is where a lot of couples end up. They, they, don't, they, end up, they may be married 10, 20, 30 years, and this is where they end up through all those years, and that is they just ignore the fact that you're not living up to the expectations, and my hopes, dreams, and desires are not going to be met. And we just kind of, I love him, I love her, but this is where we are, and we just kind of think, I guess we lower our expectations, or we just settle for where we're at and say, well, I thought it was going to be all these great things, but it's not. This is what it is. Maybe I'm more realistic now, and we just settle. And we feel like we're living half of what we thought we would live. And we just kind of live there, and that's, that's not healthy nor enjoyable. Or, 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 or we can just kind of constantly badger and kind of you know coerce or con, you know convict or, or or talking to and convince the other person to constantly be better to live up to these expectations and and there's always tension in that as we're always going after we tend to when we get in that mode we'll focus on what they're not than what they are we can live there and that's not fun for anybody or we we just get busy we get busy with our life, we get busy with our career, we get busy with kids, and we just get busy with a hobby, we just get busy to kind of distract our heart from the fact that the relationship is not where we wished it was, not where we thought it would be, and we just get busy, and we become more like roommates with kids 
than two people with a meaningful relationship. Or we bail. We bail emotionally, or we bail physically in an affair, or, or we leave. And we take up our hopes, dreams, and desires because you didn't fulfill them, and we walk off into the next relationship, and what do we do? Here you go. And to the next person, we hand them our hopes, dreams, and desires, and they turn into expectations, and we're just going to see how you do. And that's not an answer as well. Well, Peter tells us two powerful relational principles that can help us from getting to that place, that can help us keep the relationship with two imperfect people moving forward and, and growing in meaningfulness. And to me, these are probably the two most powerful relational principles I can give you. And, and the verses we're going to look at, he's not specifically talking about marriage. He's not specifically talking about dating or anything like that. He's just talking about living. But it, the principles here are so powerfully applied to relationships, especially to the intimate relationships of our life. Let's look at this. First Peter chapter 5, picking up in the middle of verse number 5, it says this. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. The idea of putting on a robe. Putting on, uh, you know, putting on a cloak or, or a coat, a heavy coat, a long coat. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now, the humility there means other first. It means what we talked about last week. Run into the back of the line. It means asking, how can I help? He says, hey, clothe yourself with this uh, run to the back of the line, this other first kind of mentality towards one another when it comes to relationships. In other words, here's how I would apply it. He is saying that in a relationship, when there is those moments where expectations may not be met, there are those moments where there is a choice, or there's a moment where there's a debate, or there's a moment where there's an argument, when there's a moment there's a fork in the road, when there's a moment where you're not seeing eye to eye, here's the question that you must ask. This is the most important question I can give you. When it comes to relationship. The question you should ask is this. What would a humble person do? Whenever you're in a relationship. And there's a debate. There's a, there's, where you're seeing two different things. Or there's two different wants. When there's a fork in the road. When there's an argument. The thing that you should stop and ask. In that situation. Is what would a humble person do? Even if you're not going to do it. You should ask. What, should a, what would a humble person do? Say, well, Jerry, I'm not, very, I'm not very humble. I know that. That's why you should ask. What would a humble person do? Now, I'm not saying, now hear this. I'm not saying that what it, the answer is always to give up your position, to give up your point of view, to give up your end of the argument. That's not it at all. But it's saying that even if you, in your situation, you feel you're right, even if it's very, very important to you, in how you approach the other person, and how you communicate what you're willing to stand for, what you're willing to, nego- uh, to, to compromise, and how you approach that other person, what you should constantly be asking before you say a word or before you react, no matter what they're doing, you should ask this question. In this situation, what would a humble person do? That's exactly what Peter is telling us. And you, it's not real inviting to do that. 
We like to well up. We like to get our stance. We got to make our point. I say it all the time. The one reason many of us aren't leaders in our life is we're more infatuated with making a point than we are in making a difference. Leaders are always people, whether it's in the home or at work or near. Leaders are people that want to make a difference more than they want to make a point. But we get in that place in our relationships and we don't back down. And what Peter's telling us here is one of the greatest relational principles, and that is whenever you're in that situation where, you're, where there's a debate, where there's an argument, where there's a difference of opinion, where there's a difference of view, when there's an essence, the thing that you should be constantly asking is not how I convince them, how do I make my point, how do I get them. It should be, what would a humble person do? I tell you, it will not hurt you to ask that question. But what it will be, in fact, this is probably one of the singular greatest relational game changers that you can incorporate into every relationship of your life. To make it a habit to ask this question. To say to yourself, I know what I want. I know how I feel. I know what other people say I should do. But what I really need to ask is what would a humble person do? And then he goes on and he gives us the reason why this is so important to ask. It's not just because it's good for the relationship. Look back at verse number five. He says this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. Always be ready to ask, always be asking, not how I can make my point, but what would a humble person do? And here's why. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives you a reason why not to, and he gives you a reason too in that. He gives you a warning and a promise all at the same time. Now, let me ask you something. Do you ever really want to be standing on the opposing side of God? Do you ever want to be in a position where God is encouraged to pull back from you? That God is encouraged to resist you? But what it says here is when you don't clothe yourself in humility, when you don't approach life and relationships and people with the attitude is, what would a humble person do? Not what would I want to do or what I feel or what other people do. What would a humble person do? When that is not our approach, Peter says, be very, very careful. Because God pulls back from proud people. God resists proud people. And then he goes on and gives that promise but gives grace to the humble. God gives favor and grace to those that are humble, to those that will fight the urge to make their point and, and get their lick in and say what they need to say and get their way to fight that urge and will say instead, what would a humble person do and choose that? He's saying there's an amazing promise in that and that is God is drawn near to that kind of person. I mean, what are you saying this? Is when in a relationship you humble yourself, you ask, what would a humble person do? That's not just good relationship. You need to understand something. You at that moment are issuing an invitation to God to draw near to you and to give you the strength and the grace and the patience you need to keep doing the, not just the right thing, but the thing that will end up in a meaningful relationship with the people in your life. Humility is not giving up your point. Humility is not weakness. In fact, it takes more strength 
to ask what a humble person would do in a situation than it takes to just mouth off and fight for your way. Weak people can't control themselves. Strong people control themselves. Strong people understand that it takes a lot of control and a lot of inner strength to stand up in the midst of an argument, a disagreement, a seeing different ways to say what would a humble person do and how I communicate and how I respond and what I'm willing to do. What would a humble person do? It takes a strong person to do that. But above all that, you know what it is? It's an invitation. It's an invitation for God to do what he's always done and that is to draw near to people who show that kind of humility. And then in the next verse, he goes on and gives us another promise. He gives us one warning, gives us two promises. In verse 6, it says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He's saying this. The mighty hand of God means God will protect you in all this. But he's saying this. When you become that person that understands the value and you weave it into how you treat and interact people, especially those in your intimate relationship with he says, when you begin to say that the most, understand and, and, and begin to live out that the most important question you can ask at all times, and especially in moments where you don't have the same eye to eye on something, if you could ask yourself, what would a humble person do? One, that God is invited to draw near to that person, but he also says that even though the other person may not appreciate it, if you take this approach, what would a humble person do? And you act out not only in a relationship with your spouse or the person you're dating, but you, you treat everybody, the people at work that way, your boss that way, to, to people that you disagree with that way. If that's just the question you're always asking in every situation, what a humble person do? There are going to be people that don't appreciate that. There are going to be people that will not go, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're showing humility, good job. There's going to be people that aren't going to do that. There are going to be people that maybe even take advantage of it. Listen to this. That doesn't mean it will go unnoticed. It will go noticed by the one who can really reward you. He's saying, you need to understand something. Every act of humility, every time you say, not what I want to do, what I think, what I feel, what other people, what would a humble person do in this situation and how I respond and how I act and what I choose to do. What would a humble person, every time, every time you do that, Peter's telling you, understand this, if no one else noticed, God does. And not only does he notice, but he says, at the proper time, he may exalt you. At the time of God's choosing, and it may be in this world, maybe in the next, I don't know. God is going to reward you for every time you've asked and acted on the question, what would a humble person do? That's an incredible relational principle. In fact, if you don't get that, you'll never truly have meaningful relationships. You may have relationships that have meaning for a while, and they're nice relationships. I'm not saying they're all going to be bad, but you're not going to have relationships where they could be. Because relationships that are truly great relationships, meaningful relationships, what happy couples know is the value of asking, what would a humble person do, especially in those moments where there's conflict, when there's uh, struggle when there's difference of opinion when there is debate what would a humble person do now then this isn't always easy to do in the next verse he tells us what may be necessary for you to do this and it's another relational principle that is so huge verse 7 he says this casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you this is huge casting all your anxieties or he's saying casting all cast all your frustrations 
throw all your, well, he said, throw all your, uh, she didn't, throw all your anxiety, your frustration, your anger at him. This is what he's saying. Now get this. This is an invitation for you to unload on God. That's what he's saying. That instead of, of throwing the frustration and throwing the accusations and throwing the unfulfilled expectations and, and throwing the hurt at that significant other, Peter says, hey, I want you to know what God wants. God says, I want you to throw it at me. Throw it at him so you don't throw it at them. In other words, what he's saying is this. Stop praying polite prayers. Stop praying formalized prayers and vocalize what you feel. Pray real prayers. Pray raw prayers. Pray whatever you want to call them kind of prayers. Throw it at him. What God is telling you and me here is that he can absorb it. He can take it. He's inviting you to rawly throw out to him exactly how you feel. That's what it means to cast your anxieties on him. Listen, the best and most healthy therapy you could ever have is to not wait till he or she gets home to unload on them, but on first, unload your frustration, unload your hurt, unload your anger on God. Vocalize how you're feeling. Lay it at His feet before you pour it on their head, is what He's saying. If you're angry at them, say, God, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so angry and I have no idea how I can get beyond this. That's how you feel. That's how you feel. God, I'm so jealous. God, I'm so hurt. God, I feel so betrayed. Or maybe this. God, I'm not only mad at them, I'm mad at you. God, because you're a God that's in control of all things, and I know that means you're in control of all things, and this is where I am. Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you step in? Why didn't you cause my life to be different? Why? Why, God? And maybe that's where your anger is. It's not just with them, but it's with him. And he says, bring it to me, because I can handle, listen, I can handle the weight of your frustration. I can handle the weight of your anger. I can handle the weight of your betrayal and pain, but the person you're in relationship may not be able to but I can handle it and I can take it and I can absorb it and I will love you in it and I will help you in it and we will move forward from it cast all your cares upon him throw it at him because he can handle the weight of your hurt he can handle the weight of your confusion he can handle the weight of of your anger. He can handle the weight, but your relationship may not be able to. You know, this isn't, Peter's not the first guy to come up with us or to experience this or even show us this. In fact, you can trace it all the way back to a time in David's life. There was a moment in David's life where he felt betrayed by a friend. A friend didn't meet up to his expectations of what a friend was. And he felt like someone that was his friend had betrayed him. And he was angry and he was hurt. 
by it all. And he records what he did in the midst of those emotions. In Psalms chapter 55, verse 16, it says this, But I called to God, and the Lord will save me. Listen to what it says here, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon. In other words, it was constant, constant. Evening and at morning and at noon, I uttered my complaint, and I moaned, and he hears my voice. I told God exactly how I felt in that moment. And this is a teaching that works well in any relationship area of our life, really in any arena of our life. But none more, no more is it important than the relationships in our life and the intimate relationships in our life like marriage. You had hopes, you had dreams, you had desires. And the chances are pretty good that they turned into expectations. And to be honest with you, there are probably expectations that no one can meet all the time. It's just how we are. So how you respond to that? You know, like I said, you could ignore it and remain unhappy unhappy and unhealthy you could just unload and everyone loses you could get busy and keep your heart and your head distracted and that's not movement you could bail and just call it quits or what would it look like to cast those frustrations that hurt that pain to unload them on the one who can carry the weight of them and the one who in the middle of them will love you and heal you through it. Years ago, I gave this advice to a lady who was going through a living hell. She really was. And I said, you know, let God. She's, when she came in and started talking to me, you can almost feel she was, she was mad at God. She's No doubt, she was mad at God for the situation. But she felt such tremendous guilt being mad at God. And, and, and that's kind of normal because when you start thinking about how much God has blessed you and everything, you almost feel like you, you don't have any right. We really don't have a right. That's why God invited us to do it because we don't have a right to be angry at him. And you could feel this inner conflict and see it. And, 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 and I just interrupted. I said, listen, let God hear, right or wrong, let God hear and feel your anger. Because he can handle the weight of it. And I'm convinced that in all that, you will find, God will find, help you find healing and, and forward movement. That advice I gave her, it was over 10 years ago. I remembered it, but I actually forgot it about it until she brought up to me. Because recently she wrote me a note. And she said in that, that looking back at it all, she said, you know, I look back and, through it all, I never gave up on God. Never gave up for looking for God. But it's like you gave me permission to unload my anger on God, and I did. And it was so incredibly healing. I learned that God could handle the weight of my anger, and that allowed me not to unload it on those who were around me. <laughs> That's what people in meaningful relationships discover. Two very important principles. And the first one is, is that when you are in a situation, especially where there's 
difference in opinion or debate or, or, or argument or, or whatever. When there's that, that kind of air in the room, people in meaningful relationships have discovered how powerful it is to ask, what, do hum- what would a humble person do? And to follow that. And it takes strength. But, but resting in the fact that God has promised that he recognizes, notices, and take notes of humility expressed in our life and will one day reward us for it. In addition to that, our relationships benefit. And then secondly, when life does get hard and we do get hurt and betrayed, when they're not living up to our expectations and the anger that can cause people in meaningful couples realize the weight of my anger, our relationship may not be able to hold it. They may not be able to hold it. And so the place to lay it at is at the feet of the one who can withstand the weight of it, and that is God himself. And in that, not only will you protect your relationship and give it hope and a possible future, but you also will find healing that God can give to those who bring that to him. Remember those two principles. And I tell you, those are probably the two most powerful principles I can ever give you to help you develop a meaningful relationship.